Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, the guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of December the 3rd, 2017, I can gladly once again tell the world that Ms. Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, week number 13 is nearly in the books for the 2017 National Football League season, and there were some very, and I mean very, important games on the docket today with playoff implications. And I want to start off with a big one that took place in the NFC South as you had the 8-3 and three New Orleans Saints hosting the 8-3 and three Carolina Panthers. And going back to week number three of this season, this is where the Saints turnaround began because New Orleans lost their first two games of the season. They lost on the road on Monday night in week number one to the Minnesota Vikings, and then they followed that up by a home loss to the New England Patriots. They faced the Carolina Panthers on the road in week number three, and they really turned around their season as they dominated Carolina. And from that point, New Orleans would be able to rattle off eight consecutive victories before they fell on the road last week to the Los Angeles Rams. Now, it did not take the Saints that long to get back on track as they took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on an 11-play, 70-yard drive, which ate up four minutes and 45 seconds worth of game clock. And the, the, uh, the, play, the drive, rather, was capped off when running back Alvin Kamara punched it in from two yards out to give New Orleans the 7 to nothing advantage. Later on in the first quarter, Carolina would be able to respond as they put together a 10-play 75-yard drive of their own that ate up more than five minutes of game clock. Excuse me. And it was capped off by a two-yard run from running back Jonathan Stewart to knock the scoring at seven apiece. Now, in the early stages of the second quarter, New Orleans would once again regain the lead, this time on a three-yard run from running back Mark Ingram to make it 14-7. Excuse me. Now, New Orleans was able to extend their lead midway through the second quarter when quarterback Drew Brees connected with Michael Thomas from 10 yards out to give the Saints the 21-7 advantage. However, just before the first half ended, Carolina would respond as they were looking to get back into the game. When quarterback Cam Newton connected with running back Christian McCaffrey on a 21-yard touchdown pass to make it 21-14. to Now, midway through the third quarter, the Saints were able to once again reestablish their 14-point cushion when Alvin Kamara scored on the ground again, this time from 20 yards out to make it 28-14. to Now, midway through the fourth quarter, the Carolina defense did step up 
and force a punt, and it looked like they were going to have the opportunity to uh, get back into the contest. But a fumble, uh, you know, really, you know, re- really changed things around. And uh, New Orleans was able to get the football back. They turned it into a 31-yard field goal from Will Lutz to make it 31 to 14. And that basically gave them all of the cushion that they would need this afternoon as the Saints won at home today by the score of 31 to 21. And you look inside of the numbers, and for Panthers quarterback Cam Newton, he was 17 of 27 passing for a buck 83 with two TDs and no picks, while Drew Brees was 25 of 34 passing for. 269 yards with a TD and no interceptions. The big difference in this contest, you look at the Saints running game, as they were able to rack up 148 yards on the ground today, and that really allowed them to dictate the pace. And for New Orleans, they got back to basics because when you think about this team and you think about their eight-game winning streak, it was all about the running game and it was all about the defense. And that's what they got back to today because in the Saints' last two games, uh, they went one and one, their defense was shaky. Their running game definitely wasn't there last week versus the Rams, and that was a big reason why they lost. They got back to basics today, and that is why they won. And for Carolina, I expected them to come out, and there was some intensity on their part heading into this contest because, like I said before, and I talked about it in my picks for the week, if you're Carolina, you could not afford to lose this contest because now you've gotten swept by New Orleans and you have a tough road ahead of you if you expect to win the NFC South. And, you know, for the Panthers, this defense of the Saints just made life so tough for Panthers quarterback Cam Newton. And, of course, if you watch the Carolina Panthers over the past few years, as Cam Newton goes, so does this team. So you take away Cam Newton or you make him have to work a little bit harder than he is accustomed to, and he's not going to be the same guy. There was consistent pressure from the Saints front four. And then on top of that, you look at the coverage behind them. It kept Cam Newton in the pocket a lot. And we've all seen over the years Cam Newton is not the same athlete that he is when he has to stay inside of the pocket. So kudos to the Saints. Kudos to Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen because he really really went out there and cooked up a game plan that was going to frustrate Cam Newton. And, of course, that was a difference in this contest. Now you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs. It will be a quick turnaround for New Orleans as they will be on the road this Thursday night to take on the Atlanta Falcons, while for Carolina – they will find themselves in week number 14. Let's see where we have the Panthers playing here. They will be at home to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And speaking of those Vikings, they entered play today with a record of 9-2, and two, and they made their way to the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, or pardon me, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta to take on the 7-4 and four Falcons, and this was a defensive stalemate. It was 3 nothing early in the second quarter in favor of Atlanta when the Vikings scored the first touchdown of the game when quarterback Case Keenum connected with Jarek McKinnon on a two-yard pass to give the Vikings a 7-3 to advantage. Now, it was 9-7 to heading into the fourth quarter after Falcons quarter uh, kicker 
Matt Bryant had connected on three field goals. And on the first play of the fourth quarter, Keenum threw his second touchdown pass of the game, this time to tight end Kyle Rudolph from six yards out to give Minnesota the 14-9 to advantage. And this capped off a 15-play, 89-yard drive, which ate up more than eight minutes of game clock. Now, from that point, uh, you know, Atlanta did have their opportunities, but this Vikings defense was simply stingy all afternoon long. And that was a difference in this contest as Minnesota went on the road and defeated the Falcons by the score of 14-9. to And you look inside of the numbers of this contest, and Case Keenum was extremely efficient as he was 25 of 30 passing for 227 yards and two TDs and no picks while he was sacked twice. But you look at Latavius Murray, who stepped up big for the Vikings offense, as he had 76 yards on the ground on just 16 carries. Falcons quarterback Matt Bryan was 16 of 29 passing for a buck 73 with no TDs and no picks while he he was not sacked at all. Devontae Freeman did return from the concussion protocol, and he had 74 yards on the ground. But the big story in this one was a matchup between Vikings cornerback Xavier Rhodes and Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones. We saw the big game that Julio Jones had last Sunday in a victory for the Atlanta Falcons. And it's, you know, it comes back to what I've talked about with Julio Jones before. He will put up some very big games, but then he'll disappear for a few. And that was the case today. He only had two catches for 24 yards. He only had six targets. And a lot of people will say that, well, you know, Matt Ryan should have done a better job as far as getting Julio Jones a football. A lot of times Matt Ryan didn't have time. And he was not sacked, but he was frustrated a ton in this contest, and that was due to the pressure that this Vikings front four was able to consistently create on him. And you look at the Vikings, the way that they are playing defense, they have more than a puncher's chance heading into the postseason. You look at the way that Case Keenum is playing quarterback for the Vikings right now, and it's mistake-free football. And I think that, that comes down to coaching because, first and foremost, the Vikings are not asking Case Keenum to go out there and be somebody that he is not. And with that said, he is developing a ton of confidence or has developed a ton of confidence right now. And that's telling for this team because Minnesota has won eight straight. They have a lights-out defense. Everybody, quote-unquote, is staying in their lanes. They're playing for the guy next to them. And that is why they are 10-2 and and they are looking like a legit Super Bowl contender. Now, on the flip side for the Falcons, uh, I can't call this Super Bowl hangover anymore because I, I, I said that Atlanta was going to be an up-and-down team this season, but they played a good Vikings team today, and they lost to a good Vikings team today. And these were the games that Atlanta was figuring out how to win last year. But with that said, Atlanta is basically in the same position that they were in last year from the standpoint that they were about 7-5 and five, uh, at this point last season, and then they got hot. And then the rest was history as they, you know, won the NFC championship. So if you're the Falcons, you're definitely hoping that history can repeat repeat itself and you get hot coming down the stretch. Now, looking ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs, Atlanta will have a quick turnaround as they will host the New Orleans Saints this Thursday night, while Minnesota will be on the road to take on another NFC South opponent in the uh, Carolina Panthers. So, folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309.
0-9. Now, moving right along, in a showdown in the AFC East, you had the 9-2 and New England Patriots looking to take the next step in regards to clinching another AFC East championship as they will travel to Western New York to take on the 6-5 and five Buffalo Bills. And the Bills' defense was up for the challenge as this was a field goal fest in the first half as New England only had a 9-3 to three lead at the break. But, you know, in typical Patriots fashion, this is what they do. They got the last drive of the first half. It resulted in a field goal for Steven Gostowski. Then, of course, New England got the first possession to begin the third quarter, and they they turned that into points because they took a 10-play, 70-yard drive that ate up nearly six minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped off when running back Rex Burkhead punched it in from a yard out to make it 16-3. to Now, New England would follow this up with another touchdown drive. This one was capped off with Burkhead scoring on the ground again, this time from 14 yards out, and it capped off a nine-play, 78-yard drive at the end of the third quarter to make it 23-3. to And that basically put away this game for the Pats as they went on to win this contest on the road today by that same exact score. And you look inside of the numbers for Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, He was 21 of 30 passing for 258 yards with no TDs and a pick while he was sacked three times. Now, Tyrod Taylor, the Bills starting quarterback, was 9 of 18 passing for just 65 yards with no TDs and a pick, and he was sacked three times. And this Patriots defense beat him up to the point that he did have to leave the game with an injury. Ricky quarterback Nathan Peterman did not fare any better as he was 6 of 15 passing for just 50 yards while he was sacked once. But it was all about the running games for both teams. New England had 191 yards on the ground, while Buffalo had 183, with New England's two big guys being Deion Lewis, who had 15 carries for 92 yards, while Rex Burkhead had 12 uh, carries for 78 yards and two TDs. LaShawn McCoy did have 93 yards on 15 carries, but it was not enough to get the Bills a victory. While all-pro tight end Rob Gronkowski, and I'll talk about him more in a minute, had nine catches for 147 yards. But you look at this defense of the Patriots, and they were much maligned earlier in the season because they were getting torched. But it's the same old song for New England. As the season progresses, they get better in every phase of the game. And it's one thing that Bill Belichick has always done. He game plans towards a team that he faces. And I looked at it and I figured, okay, they're going to make Tyrod Taylor beat them with his arm. And they did that because they kept them in the pocket. And there was, a, there was a situation in the first half where the Bills had an opportunity to get a touchdown. And they had a, a situation inside of the 10-yard line of the Patriots. And this Patriots defense, uh, you know, they kept Taylor in the pocket. They made him beat him with his arm. And he threw an inexcusable interception. So instead of even getting three, Buffalo came away with that drive getting nothing. And, of course, New England was able to flip, flip the field and get a field goal off of that. Now, Tom Brady was not Tom Brady today. So he did not throw a touchdown. He was still 21-30 passing. But that's a credit to this Bills defense because they frustrated him 
with some pressure this afternoon, and Brady had to move off of his mark more than he is definitely accustomed to, but he still was able to find Gronkowski nine times for a buck 47. However, Gronkowski had a very controversial moment in this contest as it was on the cusp of Brady throwing an interception, and the ball was picked off by Bill's defensive back, Tredavious White, and while White was laying on the ground, Gronkowski came over him and took a cheap shot. And, of course, some Bills players took offense to that, and rightfully so. And Bills head coach Sean McDermott did speak to Bill Belichick after the game, and he apologized, and Rob Gronkowski apologized as well. Now it's just going to be a matter of what the league does. I, I, I think at the very least Rob Gronkowski gets a fine. This was a malicious play. There's no if ands, or buts about it. I think the one thing that can save – Rob Gronkowski from a potential one-game suspension by the NFL is due to the fact that he does not have a prior track record of these situations. It's not a guarantee that the NFL still will not drop the hammer on him and give him the one-game suspension, but I'll tell you like this. He is definitely going to be a little lighter in the wallet. I think at at the very least he's fined $25,000. So it's a situation I think he's going to learn from this. He's going to have to because – Situations like that are not accepted by Bill Belichick uh, for his football team. So this is going to be a learning point for him, and it's going to be a learning point for the rest of the team because New England, really, they're on a roll right now, and the last thing that they can have is have something take them away from what their ultimate goal is to not only get back to the playoffs, but, of course, win the Super Bowl. And for the Buffalo Bills, it's the same old song. I mean, this was an opportunity for them to really step up and make something happen for themselves, and they were unable to do that. And, you know, they're 6-6 six and six right now. And, honestly, it looks like that, you know, that streak of not making the postseason, which dates back to 1999, which is the longest current active postseason drought in the National Football League, will continue. Now, you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs, and Buffalo will be back home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Indianapolis Colts, while the Patriots will be on the road next uh, next weekend uh, to take on another AFC East foe. This time, the Pats will be on the road on Monday night to take on the Miami Dolphins. Now, moving right along, you had the Desperation Bowl as you had the 6-5 and five Kansas City Chiefs making their second trip in the past three weeks to MetLife Stadium, this time to take on the 4-7 and seven New York Jets. And Kansas City got the opening kickoff and marched right down the field on a five-play 75-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Alex Smith connected with tight end Travis Kelsey from 22 yards out to give KC the early 7 to nothing advantage. The Chiefs would extend that lead later in the first quarter when Smith would connect with Kelsey again, this time from 36 yards out, to give the Chiefs the 14-7 and, pardon me, 14-0 advantage. However, this Chiefs defense could not hold that lead as on the ensuing drive for the Jets, they put together their first score of the game as they marched down the field on a nine-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a one-yard run from Bilal Powell to make it 14-7. to And just before the first quarter ended, the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets were able to knock the score at 14-all when quarterback Josh McCown punched it in from a yard out 
to make it 14 apiece. Now, it was 17 to 14 late in the second quarter in favor of Kansas City when the Jets took their first lead of the contest when McCown connected with running back Matt Forte on an 11-yard pass to give the Jets the 21 to 17 lead. Now it was 24 to 17 in favor of the Jets in the third quarter when quarterback Alex Smith connected with Tyreek Hill on a 79-yard touchdown pass to not the score at 24 apiece. Now it was 30 to 24 in favor of the Jets in the fourth quarter when Kansas City took the lead once again. This time Smith connected with Hill on a 40-yard touchdown pass as Kansas City found themselves up 31-30. to However, the Jets would put together a 14-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up nearly seven minutes' worth of game clock, and a lot of it was aided by the Chiefs. Because you look at it, and there were so many dumb penalties by Kansas City. They stopped the Jets. They forced a field goal attempt by the Jets, and the kick was good. However, Kansas City was then called for a personal foul because uh, one of their players ran into the long snapper. So, of course, that gives the Jets a first down. Then there was a third and goal situation from that. Kansas City uh, was called for holding in the end zone, so the Jets continue to get the ball. Um, Then then on uh, on the holding play, there was another penalty on Chiefs defensive back Marcus Peters because he took the ref's penalty flag and threw it up into the stands. Now, Peters thought he was going to be ejected, and he left the field, and he actually wasn't, so somebody had to go back to the dressing room to get him out. But it didn't matter because at that point the Jets were able to score a touchdown when McCown punched it in from a yard out, and they took the 36-31 lead, and then Elijah McGuire scored on the two-point conversion to make it 38-31. to Now the Chiefs would have one more chance to tie this game, and Smith got them in the scoring range, but the Jets' defense stepped up and stymied them in their red zone. And the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 would go on to win this contest today by the score of 38-31. to And you look inside of the numbers, and Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith was 19-33 of passing for 366 yards with four TDs and no picks while he was sacked twice while his counterpart, Josh McCown, was 26-36 passing for 331 yards with one TD and no interceptions. The Jets did have 157 yards on the ground. But the big thing for the Jets in this game, Jermaine Curse, nine catches, 457 yards. Robbie Anderson, eight catches for a buck 07. Now, the Chiefs receivers did step up today, too. Tyreek Hill had six catches for a buck 85 with two TDs, while Travis Kelsey had four grabs for 94 yards. When Kansas City looks back at this game, what they're going to remember is how they really, and I mean how they really, hurt their chances of winning this contest. And it starts with the penalties. Kansas City had eight penalties for 30 yards. And granted, the penalty yards, you know, weren't a lot, but they were some very key penalties, especially towards the end of the game. Then on top of that, Kansas City only possessed the football today for 17 minutes and 11 seconds. And if you're the Chiefs, I don't know where you go from here, and the reason why I bring it up is this. You were 5-0. and You had a four-game lead 
over the Los Angeles Chargers for first place in this division. You had a three-game lead over the Oakland Raiders, and I'll get I'll touch on those teams later in in the show. But it's a situation now. You don't have that lead anymore. You're coming apart at the seams. You've lost four straight. Coming into this contest today, the whole talk was all of the issues being about the offense. The offense stepped up big time for Kansas City today. It's not that often where you're going to see Alex Smith go out there and pass for 300 yards in the game, but he did today. But Kansas City only possessed the ball for 17 minutes. And then on top of that, you had an opportunity – if you're the Chiefs' defense to get off of the field, you limit the Jets to just a field goal, then you get the ball back knowing that if you score a field goal, you win the game. But penalties, penalties, and penalties, and a lack of discipline really did this team in. And I think what we saw on defense from Kansas City in the final moments of this contest is a microcosm of what's going going down with this team right now. Because typically when things are going wrong, for a team, these situations happen. And it's just a microcosm of things, and it's just unfortunate because you typically don't see this from an Andy Reid-led team, but that is the case right now, and Kansas City is definitely coming apart at the seams. And for the Jets, you know, they simply go out there and they continue to fight and scrap, and they're just finding ways to hang around in games. And, you know, Josh McCown, this is probably one of the better games of his career, he, you know, the Jets team rallied around him. Like I said, both Jermaine Curse and Robbie Anderson had big games uh, receiving for Gang Green, and that was a big part of them going out there and getting the victory this afternoon. Now, you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs. The Jets will be on the road to take on the Denver Broncos, while for Kansas City, they will find themselves at home to face the Oakland Raiders. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 5-6 and six Los Angeles Chargers hosting the winless Cleveland Browns, who came into this contest with a record of 0-11. And, and the Browns played the Chargers tough. It was 6-0 in favor of Los Angeles late in the first quarter after a pair of Travis Coon's field goals. When the Browns scored the game's first touchdown and actually had the lead, when Deshaun Kaiser connected with rookie tight end David Unjoku from 28 yards out to give the Browns the 7-6 to advantage. However, just before the first half ended, Coons connected on his third field goal of the half, this time from 22 yards out, and the Chargers took the 9-7 to lead into the dressing room. And that was important because the Chargers got the opening kickoff for the second half, and they marched down the field on a 10-play, 78-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Phillip Rivers connected with wide receiver Keenan Allen from seven yards out to give the Chargers the 16-7 to advantage. And from that point, it was all over for the shot, except for the shouting. I mean, the Browns would play game. They would play tough, but they simply could not get over the hump of the Chargers. And the Chargers won it home today by the score of 19-10. to And you look inside of the numbers, Deshaun Kaiser, the Browns' starting quarterback, was 15 of 32 passing for 215 yards with a TD and a pick 
while he was sacked three times. His counterpart in the veteran, Phillip Rivers, was 31 of 43 passing for 344 yards with a TD, and he was not picked off, and he was sacked once. Melvin Gordon did have 77 yards on the ground for the Chargers, while Keenan Allen had a big uh, day as he had 10 grabs for a buckle five with a TD, while Hunter Henry had seven grabs for 81 yards. And welcome back, Josh Gordon, as he has been suspended by the NFL since 2014. And he, in his first game back today for the Browns, he had four grabs for 85 yards, but it was not enough to help Cleveland get their first victory of the season. And I mean, for the Chargers, this was a game I expected them to win going away, and they really didn't do it. I mean, credit to the Browns' defense. They did not allow them to score sixes. And a lot of times the Chargers were settling for threes, and that, that, that kept the Browns in this game. That's a credit to their defense. But this Chargers defense really pinned their ears back, and they came after the youngster and Kaiser all afternoon long for the Browns. And because of that, they got the victory. And you look at the Chargers right now, they now find themselves tied with the Kansas City Chiefs for first place in this division. And it's crazy because the Chargers at one time, they were 0-4. And it looked like the season was done. But you have to go back to 1992 because the Chargers began that season 0-4 as well. They would finish that year 11-5. and And they would also finish that season as the champions of the AFC West. And they won their first playoff game in 10 years. So if you're the Chargers, you definitely want to find a way to bring back that magic. Now, for the Browns, what can you say? This season can't end fast enough for them. And at the same time, there's a big possibility that they don't win a game. They're 0-12. You've only won one football game over the last two years. And I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but I mean, what can you say about this organization? It's just bad. There's no way, you know, to put you know, the mask, the stench that is around this organization right now. And unfortunately for their fan base in northern Ohio, it won't be getting better anytime soon. Now, for the Packers next Sunday afternoon, they will host the Green Bay Packers, while for the Chargers, they will find themselves at home to take on the Washington Redskins. And you had the 5-6 and six Oakland Raiders, hosting the 2-9 and nine New York football Giants this afternoon. And, of course, there was a big story around this game as for the first time since week 10 of the 2004 National Football League season, somebody not named Eli Manning was going to be the starting quarterback for <clears throat> excuse me, the New York Giants. Now, Geno Smith, the former New York Jets starting quarterback, would replace Manning in the lineup as he was benched. <coughs> excuse me, by head coach Ben McAdoo. And after the Giants went three and out, excuse me, on their first possession of the game, they turned the ball over to the Raiders, and the Raiders were able to immediately get on the scoreboard. Excuse me for one minute, folks. Okay, I'm back with you. And on the Raiders' first drive, veteran running back Marshawn Lynch exploded for a 51-yard touchdown run to show that his legs, excuse me, still have what it takes 
to get it done in the NFL as the Raiders took the early 7 to nothing advantage. However, just before the first quarter ended, the Giants were able to put together an 11-play, 74-yard drive that ate up more than five minutes' worth of game clock, and it was capped off when running back Orleans Darko punched it in from a yard out to knock the score at seven apiece. Now, a key moment in this contest, it was 10-7 to in favor of the Raiders late in the second quarter when the Giants, uh, they were about to block the punt of Marquette King, and he just ate the ball, and it put New York in prime field position to take the lead just before the first half ended. However, Geno Smith was sacked, and Bruce Irvin forced to fumble, and the Raiders recovered. And instead of the Giants, at the very least, being tied at 10, they had to settle for a 10-7 to deficit at the half. Now, early in the fourth quarter, the Raiders would extend that lead when rookie running back DeAndre Washington punched it in from nine yards out to make it 17-7 to in favor of the Silver and Black. The Giants would attempt to rally as later on in the fourth, Geno Smith connected with rookie tight end Evan Ingram from 10 yards out to make it 17-14, to but the Raiders would go on to put this game away as later on in the fourth, Quarterback Derek Carr connected with Johnny Holton (coughs) on a nine-yard touchdown pass to make it 24-14. And Oakland would go on to win this afternoon by the score of 24-17. And you look inside of the numbers, Geno Smith was not terribly bad. He was 21 of 34 passing for 212 yards with one TD and no picks while he was sacked three times. And he did have two costly turnovers. It's the same old song for the Giants' offense. They only had 65 yards rushing. Evan Ingram did have three, uh, seven catches for 99 yards and a TD. This Giants' um, defense could not stop Raiders quarterback Derek Carr as he was 22 of 36 passing for 287 yards with a TD, while Marshawn Lynch had his big day, his finest day with the Raiders, the first time he went over 100 yards on the ground while wearing a silver and black uniform as he had 17 carries for 101 yards and, of course, that TD. And for the Raiders, we know about their the depth, the lack of depth at the wide receiver position for them coming into this contest. Of course, Noah Amari Cooper with the concussion. And then, of course, Michael Crabtree was suspended. And, you know, Derek Carr just had to go out there and make it happen. And, you know, on the flip side for the Giants, I mean, of course, there's plenty of controversy around this game due to the controversial benching of veteran quarterback Eli Manning. And you just wanted to see how this team would respond. And they went out there and they played hard. They left it all on the line. You can't take that away from them. Uh, But they simply were not the better team. And now, you know, you're hearing reports that Ben McAdoo, the Giants head coach, could be fired as early as tomorrow. And, you know, it's amazing because this is an organization that is in turmoil. And, you know, you typically don't use the word turmoil in the New York Giants in the same sentence. It simply does not work like that. But that that's the situation that we're in right now with Big Blue. And you bench your franchise quarterback for a journeyman in Geno Smith. And you you saw the outrage from fans and media alike in the New York area this past week, and it wasn't good. And then you know John Mara basically had the Giants' co-owner had his hand had his head in the sand 
the entire time in regards to the issue. Then you turn around and, you know, Ben McAdoo stands behind it. So, I mean, it was bad all around. I mean, to have Eli, the, the thought the thought of having Eli Manning go out there and just play a half, and regardless if you're winning or losing, you're going to take him out of the game, just so you can keep your streak alive of 210 consecutive starts. He wasn't going to do that. I don't blame him, you know, because that cheapens everything. You know, he's a professional. He has too much professionalism for that. And I think the Giants, at some point, John Mara's got to got to step in and take ownership of his team again because it's amazing how quick that things have ta- come apart for this team. The Giants were 11-3. and three. Oh, Pardon me, they were 11-5 um, and five to finish the regular season last year. And ever since, you know, that infamous boat ride uh, with the Giants wide receivers after they clinched a playoff spot down in Florida last year, things have gone wrong for this team and this organization. You're 2-10. You're going to be picking in the top five. You're definitely going to have a new coach. You're definitely going to have a new GM. But I think the Giants need to go back to the drawing board, and they have to figure out their blueprint. And that's something that only John Mara and Steve Tisch, their co-owners, can answer. And, I mean, this is really, you know, it's weird because it's been a long time since you've seen the Giants in a situation like this. You know, the last time that the Giants were 2-10 and 10 to begin a season, you probably have to go back to 1980. And after that, you know, things really got turned around. You drafted Lawrence Taylor in 1981. And since that time, the Giants have won four Super Bowl championships, two with Eli Manning as their starting quarterback. And for last week to go down the way it did for this Giants organization, uh, you know, it was simply strange, and it definitely uh, was not good. Now, you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs, and you're going to have the Raiders on the road to take on the Kansas City Chiefs while the Giants will be at home to host the Dallas Cowboys. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in the AFC South, you had... The seven and four Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to take on the three and pardon me, the Jack, seven and four Jacksonville Jaguars were hosting the three and eight Indianapolis Colts. And the last time that these two teams met, this Jaguars defense simply put a whooping on Colts quarterback Jacoby Brissett as they sacked him ten times, and it was like he had nowhere to go. And the Jaguars offense got the scoring going in this one. As in the first quarter, quarterback Blake Bortles connected with wide receiver Marquise Lee from four yards out, and this capped off an 11-play, 80-yard drive to give Jacksonville the seven-to-nothing advantage. Now it was 10-to-3 in favor of Jacksonville late in the second quarter when Bortles connected with Keelan Cole from eight yards out, and the two-point conversion would fail, and the Jaguars would settle for the 24, uh, pardon me, the 16-to-3 lead at the half. Now, Jacksonville would get the opening kickoff to begin the second half, and they would march right down the field on an eight-play, 67-yard drive, which is capped off by a five-yard run from rookie running back Leonard Fournette. Now, Jacksonville would go for the two-point conversion, and they would be successful when Blake Bortles would connect with veteran tight end Mercedes Lewis to give them the 24-3 advantage. 
Now, Indy would attempt a rally as on their ensuing drive. Brissett connected with wide receiver T.Y. Hilton, who had reservations for the end zone, and they, they connected on a 40-yard touchdown pass to make it 24-10. to 10. However, Indianapolis would not get any closer today, and Jacksonville would go on to get the 30-10 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Jacoby Brissett was 21 of 36 passing for a buck 74 with one TD and two picks. Wasn't sacked 10 times today, but Jacksonville still put him on his keister four times. Uh, as a team, the Colts rushed for 140 yards, while veteran running back Frank Gore had 13 carries for 61 yards. And it's important because he moved up the all-time rushing list in this contest as he passed both Jerome Bettis and LaDainian Tomlinson, two Hall of Famers, and Frank Gore is now fifth all-time on the NFL rushing list. Now, Blake Bortles was 26-35 passing for 309 with two TDs and no picks, while Leonard Fournette only had 57 yards on the ground, but they were 57 physical yards, and Jacksonville went out there and got themselves the 30-10 to victory. And, I mean, I watched this game. And the energy for this Jaguars team down there in northern Florida is definitely picking up. There was a loud boom from the fan base this afternoon watching this team play, and I think it's going to carry over as this team has what it takes to make the playoffs. Jacksonville is doing what good teams are supposed to do, and that is taking care of the teams that you are supposed to beat. And they're doing it, and they're making it look easy. And you look at this defense and the way that they are flying around the football, these last four games for them coming down the stretch are definitely going to be interesting. And for Indianapolis, what can you say? The Their end of the season can't get here quick enough. You're 3-9. and nine, No Andrew Luck this season. You're probably going to get a new head coach to begin 2018. And there simply needs to be some semblance of order with this franchise that does not appear to be coming on the horizon. Now, you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs, and Jacksonville will be at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Seattle Seahawks, while for Indianapolis, they will find themselves on the road to take on the Buffalo Bills. Now, in another AFC South meeting, you had the 4-7 and seven Houston Texans traveling to Nashville to take on the 7-4 and four Tennessee Titans. Now, shockingly, Tennessee was up in this game early on. It was 3-0 in favor of the Titans going to the second quarter when they were able to extend that lead. When touchdown Tom Savage connected with Steven Anderson from four yards out to make it 10 to nothing in favor of Houston. The Titans would rally as they put together a 10-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up nearly six and a half minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped off by a nine-yard run from running from quarterback Marcus Mariota to make it 10 to seven. Now it was 10 all at the half, and it stayed that way until the end of the third quarter when Mariota connected with veteran tight end Delaney Walker from 24 yards out to give the Titans their first lead of the contest by the score of 17 to 10. Now it was 17 to 13 in favor of Tennessee late in this contest. And Houston had an opportunity to actually go down there and win it. But this Titans defense stiffened and they would flip that around 
as as Tennessee was attempting to run out the clock and make Houston burn their timeouts on a flip play from Mariota to rookie, pardon me, second year running back Derrick Henry. He did the rest as he exploded down the sidelines for a 75-yard touchdown run to put the icing on the cake for this one as Tennessee would go on to get the 24-13 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Tom Savage had a big game, and surprisingly, against this Texans defense, pardon me, this Titans defense, as he was 31-49 of passing for 365 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked four times. It wasn't a big day for this Titans offense. I mean, the numbers are deceiving. Derrick Henry had 109 yards on the ground, but a lot of that came on the last play of the game on offense for Tennessee, while Marcus Mariota was just 15 of 23 passing for a buck 50 and a TD for the Titans. Another solid day from Duke Hopkins at wide receiver for the Texans as he had eight grabs for 80 yards. And you look at Tennessee, this is a game that you definitely have to build off of. And the reason is this. Tennessee sleptwalked through this game, and they still found a way to win. The Texans helped them out. A couple of missed field goals really changed this game because you figure Houston could have been driving late and just needing a field goal to win, and that might, we might be talking about this contest totally different right now. So you slept walk through this game. If, you, if you're Tennessee, divisional games are always so difficult to win, and they simply went out there. It was not pretty, but they, you know, they just found a way to win. And, you know, because of that, they're 8-4, and four, and they are going to remain tied with Jacksonville for the top spot in the AFC South. And for the Texans, you know, they're not giving up on head coach Bill O'Brien. And I think, you know, we know about the injury to two quarterback Deshaun Watson and how that's changed the dynamic for this team. But they have not given up, and they're going to go out there and fight. And that's what you're going to do with a Bill O'Brien-led team. And I still think the Texans could be a dangerous team coming down the stretches in regards to playing spoiler to some teams who do have eyes on making the postseason. And you look ahead to week number 14, for both of these clubs, Houston will be at home to take on the San Francisco 49ers, while the Titans will find themselves on the road to face the Arizona Cardinals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in a matchup of NFC West foes, you had the 8-3 and three Los Angeles Rams traveling to take on the 5-6 and six Arizona Cardinals. And it was 3-0 midway through the first quarter in favor of Los Angeles when they were able to extend their lead when quarterback Jared Goff connected with tight end Gerald Everett from a yard out to give the Rams a 9 to nothing advantage as place kicker Greg Zerline would miss the extra point. Now the Rams continue to build their lead as Alec Ogletree picked off Cardinals quarterback Blaine Gabbard and returned it 41 yards for the touchdown to give the Rams the commanding 16 to nothing lead. However, the Cardinals would not go away as they put together a 
nine-play, 67-yard drive, which ate up more than six minutes' worth of game clock. And midway through the second quarter, they scored their first touchdown of the contest when Elijah Penny punched it in from a yard out to make it 16-7. to The Cardinals would inch closer later on in the second quarter when Gabbert connected with veteran wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald from 15 yards out to make it 16-13 to as place kicker Phil Dawson had his extra point blocked. Now, it was 19-3 in the third quarter in favor of the Rams when they extended their lead when Goff found wide receiver Sammy Watkins on an 11-yard touchdown pass to make it 26-13. And the Rams' defense would do the rest this afternoon as they knocked off the Cardinals on the road today for the season sweep by the score of 32-16. to And you look inside of the numbers, and for Goff, he was – 21 of 31 passing for 220 yards with two TDs and a pick, while Blaine Gabbert was 18 of 32 passing for 221 yards with a TD and two picks while he was sacked six times by this Rams defense, two of those coming from all-pro defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Todd Gurley did have 74 yards on the ground on 19 carries for Los Angeles, while he also came out of the backfield to grab six passes for 84 yards. And this was a workmanlike victory for the Rams. And like I said, the divisional wins are so tough. And the Rams played the Cardinals over in England earlier this season. And, of course, the Rams blew out the Cardinals. And in that contest, the Cardinals lost their starting quarterback, Carson Palmer, for the remainder of the season. And, you know, the Rams – They took that tough loss to the Vikings a few weeks ago, but they have really responded. They went out there and they defeated the New Orleans Saints at home uh, last Sunday, and now you're really getting back on that winning streak aspect as they were able to defeat the Cardinals uh, today and get things going for themselves once again in the NFC West. And for the Cardinals, you know, they were trying to hang around in this playoff picture, but, you know, it's very tough to do with a guy at quarterback in Blaine Gabbert who is legitimately a backup. Now you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these teams. A big one in the NFC is the Rams are going to host the Philadelphia Eagles while the Cards will find themselves at home next Sunday to take on the Tennessee Titans. Now it was a battle of the Bays today at Lambeau Field as you had the 5-6 and six Green Bay Packers hosting the 4-7 and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, of course, both of these teams have missed their starting quarterbacks for a portion of the season. The Packers are still without the services of Aaron Rodgers on the center, while Tampa Bay would welcome quarterback Jameis Winston back today. And it did not take Winston that long to get familiar with his Tampa Bay teammates as the Bucks took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a 10-play 75-yard drive, which ate up more than five minutes' worth of game clock. And it was capped off when Winston connected with tight end Cameron Brait on a 28-yard touchdown pass to give the Bucks the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 7-3 to in the second quarter in favor of Tampa Bay when this game changed on a blocked punt and Green Bay was able to capitalize on that and put together a quick five-play, 45-yard drive, which is capped off by a one-yard run from rookie running back Jamal Williams out of BYU to give the Pack their first lead of the contest at 10-7. to Now, Jameis Winston would later on be picked off in the second quarter by Dean Lowry, who returned it 62 yards 
for the touchdown as Green Bay extended their lead to 17-7. to Now, it was 17-13 to midway through the fourth quarter when Tampa Bay was able to regain the lead when Winston connected with Braid again, this time on an 11-yard touchdown pass as this capped off a 12-play 78-yard drive that ate up more than seven minutes worth of game clock to give Tampa Bay the 20-17 to advantage. However, just north of the two-minute warning, Mason Crosby connected on a field goal for the Packers to not to score at 20 apiece. Now, the Packers' defense would step up and shut down the Bucks' offense and force overtime. Green Bay would win the coin toss to begin overtime, and they would never give the football back as they scampered down the field on an eight-play, 72-yard drive, and it was capped off by a 20-yard run from Aaron Jones as the Packers secured the 26-220 victory this afternoon. And I talked about this Packers defense, and they stepped up in a big way today as they sacked James Winston seven times with two and a half of those coming from all-pro linebacker Clay Matthews. Winston was 21 of 32 passing overall for 270 yards with two TDs, but it simply wasn't enough. Peyton Barber had 102 yards on the ground for Tampa, but it simply was not enough. You look at Brett Hundley, the Packers quarterback, had a pedestrian-like day, 13 of 22 passing for just 84 yards with no TDs and a pick, and he was sacked twice. But the big thing for Green Bay was their running game, 199 yards on the ground, 113 of those from Jamal Williams, 66 more from Brett Hundley. And I talked about this Packers defense. That's what it was all about. And, you know, I can say that this is shades of a few years ago when Aaron Rodgers got hurt and the Packers hung around. Obviously, that's not the case because they're 6-6, six and six, and the Vikings are 10-2, and two, so they're not going to catch Minnesota for the NFC North. But they are hanging around for a wild-card berth. And anything, and I mean anything, uh, can happen coming down the stretch here in the regular season. So, I mean, a lot of people are writing off the Packers and their head coach, Mike McCarthy, but, I mean, don't look now because they're simply going out there and they're finding ways to win contests again. And for the Bucks, you know, you get Winston back and you're hopeful to get some momentum going for yourselves. But you finished so strong last year, and this young team was hopeful to take that next step in 2017. And unfortunately for their sakes, uh, they have definitely regressed. Now, you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these clubs. And... For the Bucks, they will be at home to take on the Detroit Lions, while the Packers will find themselves on a road to face the winless Cleveland Browns. Now, you had the Detroit Lions with a record of 6-5 and five, traveling to take on the Baltimore Ravens, who also possessed a record of 6-5. and five. And after a quarter of play, it was 3 to nothing in favor of the Ravens when they were able to extend their lead when quarterback Joe Flacco connected with veteran tight end Benjamin Watson from a yard out to make it 10 to nothing. Baltimore would continue to pour it on as later on in the second quarter, Flacco connected with Patrick Rickard from three yards out, and the Ravens were now up 17 to nothing. It was 20 to nothing at, at the half in favor of Baltimore, and then Detroit would attempt to mount a rally in the third quarter. They took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a quick seven-play, 75-yard drive that ate up less than three minutes' worth of game clock, and it was capped off when running back Theo Riddick 
punched it in from four yards out to make it 20-7. to Now, the Lions would get a little bit closer later on in the third quarter, this time from a six-yard touchdown plunge from Teon Green to make it 20-13 to as Matt Prater would miss the extra point. However, the fourth quarter was an exciting one as early on in the fourth, running back Alex Collins punched it in from seven yards out to extend the Ravens' lead to 27-13. Now, the Lions would immediately respond on a quick five-play 75-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with Nick Ballore from a yard out to make it 27-20. However, this Ravens' defense stepped up, and, you know, we saw Matthew Stafford leave this game with a hand injury due to the pressure that he was receiving and a hit from this Ravens defense. And once he left, it really changed it. It was 30-20 to 20 in favor of Baltimore late in this contest. And Alex Collins put the game away with a six-yard run to make it 37-20. to 20. And Eric Weddle sealed it later on in the fourth quarter as he returned an interception 45 yards for the TD. And the Ravens would go on to win this afternoon by the score of – 44 to 20 and you look inside all the numbers of this contest of course you know Matthew Stafford you know he's been an Ironman for the Lions but you know he had to leave with that hand injury and that changed things as he was 24 of 29 passing for 292 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked three times by this Ravens defense before leaving the game now Joe Flacco was 23 of 36 passing for 269 yards with two TDs and no interceptions. But Alec Collins had a big afternoon as he had 15 carries for 75 yards. And it was a Mike Wallace sighting today for Baltimore as he had five grabs for 116 yards. But I talked about this Ravens defense, and they really stepped up for the challenge today. Like I said, they sacked Stafford three times today, and the pressure was consistently on him as the Lions were not able to get their consistent offense going. And that was a credit to the Ravens as they got the victory today by the score of 44-20. to 20. And, you know, getting back to the Ravens, it has not been pretty at times. But you look at this team, and somehow they're 7-5. and five. The Ravens, I mean, if there was an example – of flying under the radar all season long. It has to be the Ravens because you have not paid attention to them in Baltimore 7-5, and and they find themselves right there in the hunt for the postseason. And, I mean, this is what makes them one of the better organizations in football because you don't think about them. They're not flashy, but they're winning games. And they've had their struggles on offense this season. We know about it. But you look at their defense, and then you look at their special teams. That's what's keeping them relevant. And if anybody ever wants to doubt, you know, you need all three phases of the game in order to win. And if anybody ever wants to say special teams aren't important, you just look at the Baltimore Ravens because they play solid special teams. You look at place kicker Justin Tucker, punter Sam Cook. You look at the returnability of Michael Campanero and, of course, their kick coverage and punt coverage as well. And that goes back to John Harbaugh, their head coach, who was a special teams uh, coach before taking over as the head coach of the Ravens back in 2008. So that gives you an idea definitely of how important that is, and that's allowing them to hang around in the postseason picture in the AFC. And for the Lions, it was a tough loss. 
you're six and you were six and five heading into this contest. Now you're six and six, and you're trying to hang up there with like some of those seven and five and eight and four clubs as far as getting a wild card berth. And this is definitely a huge step back for you. And now it's really going to hinge on the availability of Matthew Stafford coming down the stretch here of the regular season. Now you look ahead to week number 14 for both of these teams. And for the Lions, they will be on the road to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. While for Baltimore, they will find themselves on the road next Sunday night when they face the Pittsburgh Steelers. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in South Florida, it was a battle of struggling teams as you had the 3-8 and eight Denver Broncos traveling to take on the 4-7 and seven Miami Dolphins, and something had to give for one of these teams. Denver came in riding a seven-game losing streak, while after winning 10 games from my, uh, last year making the playoffs, Miami is just simply looking to get some semblance of order going. Now, after one quarter of play, it was 2 to nothing in favor of Miami, and I think that's kind of fitting due to the struggles that both of these teams have had this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the first touchdown of the contest would not come until midway through the second quarter when Dolphins quarterback Jay Cutler connected with tight end Julius Thomas as it was a pair of ex-Broncos connecting on this one to give Miami the 9-3 to lead. Now the Dolphins would extend that lead on the very next play when Broncos quarterback Trevor Simeon was picked off by Xavier Howard, who returned it 30 yards for the touchdown to make it 16-3. to Now, it was 19-3 to midway through the uh, third quarter in favor of uh, Miami when Denver would score their first touchdown in the contest, and it came the result of an interception return by Justin Simmons, who scampered 69 yards, 65 yards for the TD to make it 19-9 as the Broncos would go for the two-point conversion and be unsuccessful. Now, later on in the uh, third quarter, Miami would extend their lead as Kenyon Drake would score on a 42-yard touchdown run to make it 26-9. And early on in the fourth quarter, the Dolphins would put this game away when Cutler connected with wide receiver Kenny Stills on a 23-yard touchdown pass to make it 33-9. to And here's where I did not like it for the Dolphins. You're up big, but why are you going for an onside kick? The game is won. There was simply no need for that. That's what the Dolphins did this afternoon, so it kind of stained their big victory. But Miami would get the victory at home today by the score of – 35-7. to seven. And you look inside, there's the numbers for this contest. No semblance of order for Denver as their struggles continue at the quarterback position. There were, Trevor Simeon was 19-41 of 41 passing for 200 yards with no TDs and three picks while he was sacked three times by this Dolphins defense. Jay Cutler was 18-31 of 31 passing for 235 yards or two TDs and two picks while he was sacked twice. But Kenyon Drake had a big afternoon on the ground for the Dolphins as he had 23 carries for a buck 20 with that one touchdown run, while Kenny Stills did have five grabs for 98 yards. And for the Broncos, you've now lost eight games in a row. 
And the season has really gotten away from Denver in a hurry. And, you know, it's unfortunate because typically when you think of the Broncos, you think of one of the better clubs in football. But, you know, right now that is not the case. And, you know, typically when things are going good, nothing could go wrong. And when things are going bad, well, just look at the Broncos right now, and they are living proof of that. And for the Dolphins, I mean, obviously you're not going to make the postseason here in 2017, but you definitely want to try to find some cohesion for yourself, which is exactly what they were able to do this afternoon. And for week number 14, Miami will be hosting New England on Monday night, while Denver will find themselves at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the New York Jets. And finally, two teams that will be picking in the top 10 and probably top five of the 2018 NFL draft as you had the three and eight Chicago bears hosting the one and 10 San Francisco 49ers. And this marked the first start for Jimmy Garoppolo as the 49ers starting quarterback. Now it was three to nothing late in the first quarter in favor of San Francisco when Chicago got their first lead of the contest when rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky connected with Dontrell Inman from eight yards out to give the Bears the 7-3 to three lead. Now, it was 7-6 to six in favor of Chicago midway through the second quarter when Tariq Cohen scampered around the field for a 61-yard punt return as the Bears were able to extend their lead to 14-6. to six. But the man of the hour, in this contest was place kicker Robbie Gold, the former Bears place kicker who is now doing his thing with the San San Francisco 49ers. Gold had already made four field goals in this contest. And late in the fourth quarter, Garoppolo was able to put together a 14-play, 86-yard drive, which ate up more than five minutes' worth of game clock for San Francisco. And it culminated with – the waning moments of this contest, Gold would connect on his fifth field goal of the game, this time from 24 yards out. And San Francisco was able to go on the road this afternoon and get the 15-14 to 14 victory. And this was a big win for San Francisco. I know it was just their second win of the season, but they were able to limit this Bears offense to just 147 yards. While you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo was able to do, 26 of 37 passing for 293 yards with no TDs and a pick while he was sacked twice. So it's clear that the 49ers do have their quarterback of the future. Marquise Goodwin had eight grabs for 99 yards. And again, I talked about this San Francisco defense and what they did. Mitchell Trubisky only attempted 15 passes as he was 12 or 15 passing for a buck or two, but the, but the Niners really took away the Bears rushing attack as Chicago only had 62 yards in the ground, and thus San Francisco was able to get their second win of the season. And, you know, like I've said before, the 49ers are not giving up, and I think general manager John Lynch as well as head coach Kyle Shanahan, they're building something within this uh, organization, and they're doing it the right way. And now they have their quarterback. It cost them a second-round pick as they acquired him from the New England Patriots. But now, you know, you're still going to get a high pick. You also get some compensation from the Chicago Bears from the trade that you made with them on draft day last year to uh, to allow them to trade up and get quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. So everybody, you know, appears to be happy because these are two teams that are definitely on the rise 
for 2018. And I think it was big for the Niners to get their quarterback situation righted. And I think that is definitely a step in the right direction as Lynch and Shanahan will look to put some pieces around Garoppolo heading into the future. Now, for San Francisco, they will be on the road once again next Sunday to take on the Houston Texans. While for Chicago, they will find themselves in week number 14 on the road to face the Cincinnati Bengals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, you look at the divisional races, and New England basically has the AFC East wrapped up. All they need is a win next week or a Buffalo loss, and it will be another AFC East title for the Patriots. Now, the Steelers do play the Cincinnati Bengals tomorrow night, and that game will go a long way in determining whether or not Pittsburgh could clinch this division as early as next week. I mean, if Pittsburgh wins, they would maintain a three-game lead over the Baltimore Ravens. And then, of course, if Pittsburgh does get the best of the Ravens next weekend, it will all but wrap up the AFC North for the black and gold. Looking at the AFC South, this is going to be a fight to the finish as both Tennessee and Jacksonville are 8-4. and four. Tennessee does get the, the nod for first place due to the fact that they beat Jacksonville in their earlier meeting, and that Week 17 matchup between both of these clubs is looming big. The AFC West, and after Kansas City had a commanding lead when they were 5-0, and oh, you now have the Chiefs, Raiders, and Chargers all tied at six apiece. And as of right now, I got to say the Chargers are the team to beat because they're playing the best football. And I think it comes down to their defense and the quarterback and Phillip Rivers because he's playing solid right now for head coach Anthony Lynn. So right now, after that poorest start, I look at the Chargers as being the team to beat. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles are losing on Sunday Night Football right now to the Seattle Seahawks, but they are still the team to beat in the NFC East, and a victory tonight would wrap up the NFC East title for Philly. You look at the NFC North, and the Vikings took another step today in regards to winning that division. As you look at the Lions, they lost again, and now all Minnesota needs to do is win one of their next four contests, and they will be champions of the NFC North for the second time in the last three years. The Saints took another step towards winning the NFC South today in sweeping Carolina. They have a one-game lead over Carolina in the standings, but theoretically it is a two-game lead, and New Orleans can take a big step when they face the Falcons on Thursday night. And then you look at the NFC West, the Seahawks are trying to remain game, and they need this victory tonight to remain just one game behind the Rams. But with all of the injuries to the Seahawks, especially in their secondary, right now the NFC West is the Rams to lose. You look at the playoff standings right now, in the AFC it's New England 1 and Pittsburgh 2. And then if Pittsburgh were to win tomorrow, they would leapfrog New England as currently right now they would have home field advantage however these two clubs do meet in a few weeks and that is going to be big you have Tennessee as a three seed Kansas City as a shaky four 
and both of your wild cards as of right now are going to be Jacksonville and Baltimore. But then you have three six and six teams in the Chargers, Buffalo, and Oakland, while Cincinnati is looking to join the fray tomorrow night with a victory over Pittsburgh. Then you look at the NFC side. Yeah, Philly at ten and one. Minnesota at ten and two. You have the Rams at nine and three, and you have the Saints at nine and three. And of course, the Rams get the tiebreaker due to their victory over the Saints last Sunday. The two wild cards right now and the NFC are Carolina and Seattle. However, if Seattle loses this contest tonight, Atlanta would leapfrog them due to their victory in their head-to-head matchup this season. You also have Detroit at 6-6, Green Bay, and Dallas there as well. So things could be getting interesting coming down the stretch of the season. You look at the overall race to the bottom in the NFL in regards to the 2018 draft, and nobody's going to beat the Browns in that category. They are 0-12. They got the number one pick on Smash because even if they win, they'll just be lucky to get one victory at this point of the season. The New York Giants and San Francisco 49ers are tied at 2-10, and while you have Chicago, Denver, and Indianapolis all at 3-9, and while Tampa and Houston are 4-8. and well, you have a logjam of teams at 5-7 and seven in the Jets, Washington, Arizona, and Miami. And you look ahead to week number 14. The action will begin this Thursday night in a key NFC South showdown when the Atlanta Falcons host the New Orleans Saints. And things have not gone well, and they have not clicked as easy as they did last year for the Falcons. But if there was ever a time for this team to figure it out, it would be this Thursday at home versus the Saints who are threatening to run away with this division. Next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the Buffalo Bills hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't know at this point who's going to be at quarterback for the Bills, but things did not look good for Tyrod Taylor when he was carted off of the field this afternoon. It's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Chicago Bears next Sunday afternoon. And, of course, the Bengals have the big one, tomorrow night versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they have a quick turnaround for them as this is a 1 o'clock start at home versus the Bears. It's going to be the Packers taking on the winless Browns. Some people think that this is the best opportunity for the Browns to win a game. But you look at the way that this Packers defense has really stepped up in their recent victories, and they could make life tough for Browns rookie quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. Chiefs and Raiders have one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL, and it dates back to their time together in the American Football League. And for Kansas City, you got to figure it out now. And, I mean, at some point, this is gut check time. The Raiders could get back both wide receivers, Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, so they could have more targets for quarterback Derek Carr. And let's not forget Oakland already has one victory over Kansas City this season. At MetLife Stadium, it's going to be the 6-6 six and six Dallas Cowboys taking on the 2-10 and 10 New York Giants. And the two biggest questions for the Giants heading into this contest, who's going to be your starting quarterback and who's going to be your head coach? Next Sunday, it's going to be the 6-6 six and six Detroit Lions taking on the 4-8 and eight Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this should be an interesting one because Detroit is 4-2 on the road while Tampa is 3-2 and two at home. 
You're going to have the Minnesota Vikings traveling to take on the Carolina Panthers. And after Carolina got punched in the mouth today by New Orleans, it will not get any easier next Sunday afternoon versus the Vikings. It'll be the 2-10 San Francisco 49ers traveling to take on the 4-8 uh, Houston Texans. And Houston would definitely love to keep some momentum going, pardon me, San Francisco rather, would definitely love to keep some momentum going for them after they got their first road victory of the season this afternoon. It's going to be the 5-7 and seven New York Jets traveling to take on the 3-9 and nine Denver Broncos. Winning road games at mile high is never easy, especially for the New York Jets. They're just 1-4 away from home this season. But if there was ever a time for the Jets to get a big road victory and hang around in that wild card picture in the AFC, it would definitely be next Sunday when they take on the struggling Broncos. You're going to have the 8-4 and four Tennessee Titans traveling to take on the 5-7 and seven Arizona Cardinals. And this is definitely not going to be an easy game for the Titans because the Cardinals are always a tough team, especially at home. But I'll tell you like this, for the young Titans, if there was ever a time for them to grow up and take that next step, this Sunday would be the perfect opportunity. You're going to have the Washington Redskins traveling to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. And don't look now. After the Chargers began this season with a record of 0-4, they have an opportunity to go over the 500 mark for the first time this season. A potential playoff preview next Sunday afternoon at the Coliseum in Los Angeles when you're going to have the 9-3 and Rams hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. And I would imagine that since Philly, I'm not saying this for certain, but I would imagine since Philly's playing this late-night game out in Seattle that they've probably just maintained on the West Coast this uh, this week in order to save on jet lag and keep their legs fresh for this important contest with the Rams. Now you're going to have the Seattle Seahawks traveling to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you're going to have a very physical running attack of the Seahawks, and they want to go out there, or pardon me, of the Jaguars rather, and they want to go out there and dictate the pace. And I really want to see how the Seahawks offensive line is going to hold up versus this pass rush of the Jaguars. And then, of course, on Sunday night, it's going to be the black and blue one. It's, you know, one of, if not the best rivalry in the NFL right now. And I'm talking about the one between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And typically, when these two teams get together, there's a lot on the line, and there could be plenty on the line on this one, as Pittsburgh might have an opportunity to wrap up the AFC North title. And finally, on Monday night, you're going to have the 10-2 and New England Patriots traveling to take on the 5-7 and Miami Dolphins. Now, New England is already favored by 12 points, but I want to see how the NFL is going to come down on Rob Gronkowski, the Patriots all-pro tight end, after his cheap shot today on Tredavious White. Typically, he's a first-time offender, but I want to see how the NFL is going to come down on him. Will he be suspended, or will they just levy a heavy fine on number 87? That said, that's going to wrap things up tonight, folks. And as always... I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. Now, I will be back on the air the same time next Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, this time as I will be recapping the action from week number 14 in the NFL season. Now, if you're on Twitter, please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it will be my pleasure to follow you right back. 
Also, there is a Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out. You're more than welcome to like it as well. And you can also check out our sports chat on Facebook as well at the Sports Depot 365. You can continue to check me out on 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com where I fancy myself as being the total sports package for the total fan. And I've been talking about a lot about the college football scene right now as there is plenty to discuss. And today I put up a podcast about Jimbo Fisher leaving Florida State for Texas A&M. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. And like I always say, it is a pleasure to see her grow and grow and grow on a daily basis. And I know that she is going to do some wonderful things in this wonderful world of ours. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care. Have yourselves a good night. And thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com.